Hey there, welcome to the I Didn't Sign Up For This podcast with Allison Casanova and myself, Jade Shaw. We are both licensed marriage and family therapists here in the state of California. Whether you're a practitioner yourself or just interested in topics around mental health and therapy, join us here for some real and honest conversations. Please note that this podcast is not a replacement for therapy or medical advice. Any questions about your specific situation should be directed to your own therapist or primary care physician. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to the I Didn't Sign Up For This podcast. This is episode one of our first series. So thanks for tuning in with us and rejoining us after our little hiatus. Today, we are kicking off by talking about different types of relationships. So we're going to talk about, I'll kind of sum it up by calling it monogamous and non-monogamous relationships. And then we'll go into some more detail about what all that means and what it looks like throughout the episode. So let's get into the different definitions of polygamy and monogamy. Um polyamory I think is the main kind of umbrella term because there's a couple terms underneath it so polyamory if you actually break it up poly means many and amor means love so it's quite literally many loves and it's about having more than one partner or spouse romantically and being able to spread your love It, it can involve having that sexual opponent but it doesn't always have to And if you break it up, so polygyny is the practice of having more than one wife, while polyandry is the practice of having more than one husband. And then if you look at swinging, I think sometimes that can get confusing, but that's where you have your like solid partner and then you both meet with another couple or several other couples and you do that just to engage in sex and you can be friends with them but like you have your main person that you are coupled up with so I think that can kind of get confusing and then if you look at monogamy that's when you only have one partner or spouse and you only have that commitment to them and then Jade will talk about being open yeah so I want to preface this by saying too that Well, I don't want to speak for Allison. I am by no means an expert on this, and there are nuances and things that I will probably miss or that we won't be able to cover in a 20-minute episode. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not specialized in this at all. This is just my understanding based on people that I have worked with over the years that have maybe engaged in some of these things and also just people people that I've come into contact with outside my practice that I've spoken to different research articles like this is I'm not an expert though so if anybody has anything they would like to add or clear up please do that feel free yeah I would love to learn more my understanding is based on people I've worked with research I've done books I've read Um, I also like to read forums because it's it's like good access to conversations that people are having where I can learn more about like different types of relationships or forums on anything really I think are really helpful but anyways that aside I just wanted to add that little caveat thank you for that yeah (laughs) and now we will continue so first I want to talk a little bit about just the idea of like 
non-monogamy as the umbrella term, and then under that, like non-polyamorous open relationships, and like Allison mentioned, swinging can fall under this category. So there's like terms that fall under umbrella terms, which I think is why it can get a little bit confusing, but just to keep that in mind. I'm going to start by talking about open relationships, and you can't see, but I'm doing quotation marks because that will fall under sort of the umbrella of non-monogamous relationships. But this is where you are in a relationship with one person, but one or both of you have other lovers. So that's going to be where you have a primary relationship, but you also have other sexual partners. And then I think I'm just going to kind of jump into the communication piece and why that's important now. And then I'll kind of backtrack a little bit, but I hope it makes sense. I really wanted to talk about the importance of like the communication piece in any of these relationships, no matter what type of relationship you're in, whether it's open or a different type of relationship. But as I was doing my research, things came up that I hadn't even thought about, right? Like how you continue to engage in your primary relationship and how you engage in the relationships with like your lover or your other partners. And it was pointed out in like talking to other people how it's important to still be mentally present with within your primary relationship, right? And that that's been the key for a lot of people who are in open relationships primarily. Am I making sense? You're making sense. Yeah. I think you, it's important because if you don't have that communication piece and you don't have the ability to be present and make sure that you're communicating like what you're needing and wanting and what is going on outside with these other partners and it, it puts your primary relationship at risk because you guys are mm-hmm. then maybe on different pages. Yeah. So Something that I came across, which I thought was really interesting and made total sense, was the boundaries that need to be set up within your primary relationship to make sure that you guys do stay on the same page. So I think it's easy to think about communication in terms of like, oh, let's just make sure we're talking about things that come up. But really, it's about having that communication before these other relationships even begin. So you're setting up ground rules, you're... Um, you know, some couples agree, okay, we're not going to text the other person when we're together or where you can meet with your other partners, um, what type of protection will be used. And also the idea of like jealousy, that jealousy within these um, other relationships, it does still exist, right? You can be in an open relationship and jealousy will still come up, but that it's important to have that open communication with your partner about when those feelings are are coming up. And I think too, if the feelings that are coming up are starting to interfere with your primary relationship, what happens then? Like, are you starting to develop more feelings for the people outside? Does that mean you have to cut ties with that person? Mm -hmm. Um, What does that look like? Yeah. I don't know if this is totally accurate. So if you're listening and you're like yelling while you're listening to this, please feel free to correct me. But the feeling that I get is a little bit like an open relationship is pretty much 
um, your relationship with the people outside of your primary relationship is going to be mostly sexual. Whereas in a polyamorous relationship, it doesn't have to be, right? That it could be more romantic. That's my understanding. But that doesn't mean that that component isn't there. In a polyamorous relationship, it's more like you have multiple primary partners. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit different. Some of these maybe will be a little bit more romantic and less sexual. And some of them will have that sexual component too. At least that's what I have understood with the people that I have talked to. And I think that a lot of people have a different idea of what it looks like. So one person might feel like polyamory is one way and someone might have disagree with them and feel like it's a different way. And one of them might be talking about an open relationship, but they call it polyamory. So I think that's the other reason why communication is so important because you might meet somebody who's, you know, in an open relationship or who operates from having an open relationship and their primary relationship, but your your idea is different and you're thinking you're getting into something that's that's not mm-hmm. what they're thinking. Yeah. Again, communication is going to be key. And it, it's important, too, to recognize that these options probably aren't great for people who are trying to use this as a way to fix their relationship that these are going to be options that are better suited for a relationship or a marriage that is already really strong and where you guys are comfortable having the communication around this piece and talking openly about expectations and, and things that come up. Yeah. I think for a lot of people that I've talked to who are in open relationships, it didn't start out as open. It's just something that kind of evolved along the way because of things that they were maybe wanting or needing that the the other person couldn't give. Um, and they just both agreed with it and set the terms. It wasn't like they came into the relationship saying, I want this to be open. Um, and I think too, with polyamory, it's the same too. Like you meet somebody and I mean, that's different. You meet somebody and they identify that way. So you already know going in that, that they're not going to be exclusive with you. Um, so I think it's it's a little bit different in that respect, at least in my understanding. Um, and I was going to say something and I totally just lost it. So go ahead. <laughs> um, okay. Another thing that I wanted to kind of throw in here, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it because it's not necessarily a type of relationship, but I wanted to talk just for a quick second about asexuality. And I'll give you a definition quickly of what that is. But the Asexual Visibility and Education Network, which is a great resource for those who identify as asexual or those who are in a relationship with somebody who identifies as asexual, um, so I'm going to throw that out there. But their definition is someone who does not experience sexual attraction, and that it's important to note that each person who identifies as asexual experiences things like relationships, attraction, and arousal somewhat differently. So I wanted to put this out there because different types of relationships can be better suited for people who identify as asexual and are in a relationship with somebody who is like sex typical. So I've talked to people, read books, I've seen things online about how, you know, like an open relationship could be a really good alternative for somebody who needs their sexual needs met, but isn't getting that in their primary romantic relationship. So when we talk about 
like polyamory or open relationships, I think there can be a lot of judgment around it from people who are in monogamous relationships or don't quite understand the purpose of an open relationship. A lot of people, from what I've read, think that it's kind of a politically correct way of cheating on your partner, when in reality, it could be a solution to being able to maintain a healthy relationship and get needs met in a relationship where you very much respect the person that you're with. So I think this kind of goes along with the episode where we're going to be talking about boundaries and it goes along with just communication in general. And I remember what I was going to say, Jade, you had said you, um, this isn't for fixing a relationship. It's, it's Uh for, um, making a relationship that's already stable, maybe more beneficial for both the both people that are in the relationship, if that's what's going to suit them better. Uh, and I, I was going to say, I, I think that another reason that this gets a lot like a bad reputation is because I think that people use it as a tool to fix relationships instead of coming from a place of we're in a good relationship, but we both want things that we're not able to give, but we're not, we're still wanting to stay in this relationship. So how do we make it work? What's like, what's something that could benefit both of us and kind of continue to communicate through it. But I think that that this is something that people use to fix, but it it just kind of like having children. Sometimes people feel like that fixes issues too. And I think while it can alleviate some of the arguments and while it can seem like a good fix at the time, I think that if the problems are there before, they're still going to be there after and there's still going to be things that you have to figure out together and work on. They just might be more intense because they've been festering. So it's important to make sure you're addressing things um, and making sure you're working through them and deciding if it's worth working through. I mean, you might decide that the relationship is not for you after all, but you might decide that it's worth working on. Amen to that. (laughs) Okay. Um, Did we want to move on to the debate, Allison? Oh, sure. So uh, I've heard so many different things and read so many different articles over this debate by several different people of were humans originally meant to be polyamorous or were they meant to be monogamous? And there are people on both sides. And I think that both sides, based on my understanding and research, have a lot of significant scientific basis too. So I think it's just kind of how you interpret it. So on one side, there are people who say that there's evidence that suggests that humans were meant to be um, polyamorous. And they, they have this drive to have several different relationships. And uh, some people will say that that's the case because it takes a village to uh, raise children. And so it's too hard to have just like two people. Um, But they'll also say too, for evolutionary purposes, if you have men having multiple partners, then you'll have multiple children that you can raise and kind of, you know, um, increase your rate of survival. Um, But then you have people on the other side that say that we were meant to be serial monogamous. So not just monogamous, but serial monogamous <laughs> is the term. And what that means is you are, you are meant to stay together for a certain amount of time that it takes to raise the children, and then you move on to the next partner. And the scientific evidence that I've seen behind this is the typically the men went to go hunt and the women stayed and took and like 
took care of the village and the children. And so I think, so you have that hunting and gathering on both sides. When one person will say that that, that is proof that everybody was mono- was polyamorous, but then you'll have people saying that's proof that that you know everybody kind of stayed together and helped each other, but they were monogamous and they stayed in the relationship long enough to raise the children. Um, and I think both, I mean, both make sense. And I think it kind of just depends on where you are. I think if you look at the scientific mm-hmm. evidence, it makes sense on both sides based on like different circumstances, I think, but we've evolved and we're in different societies now and it it looks completely different than it did back then. So what worked then maybe doesn't work the same now. And I think for a lot of people, they choose to be monogamous because it it makes sense for their situation, but other people choose to be polyamorous because it makes sense for their situation. Now I could have given you all the research, um, but I I didn't feel like (laughs) that was super necessary because there was so much of it. Um, and I've, I've, it's something that I've, that I've looked at over the years cause I've come in contact with it so many times people, um, talking about this, but I just kind of wanted to let you guys know if you didn't know that there was this debate and, um, maybe if you have some research you want to share, you totally can, and you can give us your opinions too. I won't tell you what my opinion is, but we'd love to hear yours. I would love to hear yours. So definitely write us in and, and let us know where you stand. I'm always curious. I think it's interesting that you did bring up the point about how things have over time changed and how that might also contribute to like the difference of what we were quote unquote meant for. And speaking of stats, I will throw one at you guys. So there was a 2016 study, so it's a few years old, but it looked at the prevalence of experiences with consensual non-monogamous relationships. And um, I'm not going to get into the details of the study, but It basically found that one in five participants said that they had participated in a consensual non-monogamous relationship at one point in their lives. So that is relatively frequent or common, I guess. And I'm curious what that would have looked like years ago or how that measures over time and if that has actually changed or in what way, but just some food for thought. I think, too, when I was looking at different statistics, there are so many people who will give you statistics saying that look favorable for monogamy and and it looks like everybody kind of is maybe favoring that. But then you'll have statistics where it totally looks like polyamory is more unfavorable. So I think it kind of just depends on who's doing the study, too. Um, and who is involved in the study, because I think that that also changes what the statistics are going to look like. Yeah, definitely. And ultimately, regardless of what the studies or what the people say we were meant to be as human beings, it really does just come down to what's going to be best for your relationship and what is best suited for you and for you and your partner. And I I totally agree with that because even though we haven't necessarily, like our brains specifically haven't evolved super a lot since then and we kind of still have the same uh, way that that our brain kind of operates, the society has. So we kind of have to adapt and figure out what's going to work best for us and kind of work through some of the other things that are kind of that we're faced with that we were maybe biologically meant for if it's maybe not something that fits anymore. Yeah, 
Okay. Should we jump into unsolicited advice? Sure. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Yeah, you can go first. Um, first though, I'm going to say, saying unsolicited advice is really kind of a tongue twister. So you guys should try it. (laughs) (laughs) My unsolicited advice is a website and it is called more than two.com and it it's uh, M O R E T H A N T W O.com. And it's a website that talks about um, polyamory. So it has uh, what the definition is. It has different basics and facts and tips and um, principles and agreements and has stuff on jealousy and insecurity and it has all kinds of just information and statistics that I think if you guys are um, interested in looking at, this would be a good resource to start. That does sound like a really good resource. I'm going to have to check that out. I haven't heard of it. Okay, mine is a quote, and it says, the point for me is to create relationships based on deeper and more real notions of trust, so that love becomes defined not by sexual exclusivity, but by actual respect, concern, commitment to act with kind intentions, accountability for our actions, and a desire for mutual growth. And this is by Dean Spade. I'm going to actually have to double check that I think I maybe mistyped it. But he is a trans activist, a writer, and a teacher. And I just really like this quote because I think that it sort of nicely summarizes a different perspective of non-monogamous relationships in that we don't have to define a relationship on sex or some people say like controlling the other person, but that it could be based on other things and that being able to sort of think outside the box can really strengthen those other aspects of a relationship that are really important. So that's all we have for you all today. Thanks again for tuning in and join us next week for episode two of our first series on relationships.